young men got on the subway and uh, creating a ruckus there. And they shouted out a holiday greeting. And this young man and two ladies, he returned with a different holiday greeting. And so this upset these young men and they attacked this young man. And the other people in the subway car, I'm sorry if you're from New York, don't want to offend you, but the other people in the car just sat there and watched, all except for one man. This one man could not allow this to continue. So while these ten guys were beating up one guy, this guy runs over and shoulder blocks a group of them off of him. Now, of course, when he does that, we all know what happens next, right? He's the target now. And so they began to kick and punch this man. But by him creating this diversion, it gave these two young ladies enough time to go over and pull the emergency stop so that they could get help. Now, you say this guy who inserted himself into the situation, got a broken nose, two black eyes, split lip, lots of bruises, cracked ribs. Um, but these people who insert themselves into potentially dangerous situations, we have, we have a name for these kind of people. A hero is one of the names that we might think of, but there's another one also. It's Good Samaritan. Good Samaritans insert themselves into situations like this. Now we love stories like this because, well, I don't know about you, but they inspire me. That there's still goodness in some people out there. And maybe if you're like me, as I was telling the story, maybe you're envisioning the scene. Maybe you're trying to figure out, okay, who are the people that were beating this guy up? Uh, who was the, the, the man and two young ladies? Who's the, the hero? Who's the good Samaritan? Well, it might maybe surprise you, the uh, young man and two ladies were Jewish. And the group of people who were beating him up, actually some of them were Jewish too. And the good Samaritan was a 140-pound Bangladeshi Muslim named Hassan Askari. And this young Muslim man knew exactly who these people who were getting beat up were because they said Happy Hanukkah. So as he inserted himself into this situation, he knew he was doing that on behalf of Jewish people. I find that very interesting. And I think it's a, it's a nice way to introduce the scripture that we're about to read. So I'm going to begin reading in verse 25. If you have your Bible, you stand for Okay, let's stand together. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Now this story... 
may surprise you that many, I'd say probably a majority of people, really don't understand why Jesus told this story to begin with. So we're going to get into that as we uh, go through the message. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you, Lord, so much for your goodness, mercy, love, for the safety and protection. God, thank you for this opportunity that we have to come and, and gather around your word and, and to read it, and study it, and see what it has to say for us. God, I pray that you'd be honored and glorified by this reading of your word and the declaration of your word. Most of all, God, we would do everything that your Holy Spirit prompts us to do. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So this story is uh, it's only found in the Gospel of Luke. And yet it's, it's so familiar, I think you could probably walk down the street of Boise downtown or Nampa. Just, we're in Nampa. You can walk down downtown Nampa and ask maybe anybody on the street, what do you know about the Good Samaritan? And I think probably with a great amount of detail, people could probably tell you a lot of the facts of the story. This, this passage is it's so familiar to us. Jesus here is responding to a question, that question that we read there in verse 29. The question is, who is my neighbor? And so he responds to this question from this lawyer of, who is my neighbor, with the story. And the story that we're going to begin reading verse by verse, we didn't read there, but we're going to start looking at a little further here. So look with me there in verse 30. As Jesus begins to tell the story, it says, And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. So let's look a little closer here at this one verse. Jesus says there's a certain man. Now, I don't know. I think it's probably fair to assume. Uh, maybe not important to the story, but since he's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, maybe it's fair to assume that this is a Jewish man who's leaving the city going on some trip to Jericho, which is also uh, there in Israel. And the Bible, Jesus telling the story, says he went down from Jerusalem. Now, as you read your Bible, it may occur to you, maybe it doesn't occur to you, but the topography of Israel, if you look at Jerusalem, Jerusalem is one of the highest points in the country. So any direction you go from Jerusalem, you're going to physically be going down. You're going to be descending from a high elevation to lower elevation. But when it says that he's going down, they are physically going down. It's about a 3,500-foot drop from Jerusalem all the way down to Jericho. And it says there's thieves lying in wait. Now, let me, let me just explain some things to you. Uh, there's mountains here in Idaho. I just came from some mountains, some very big mountains. Uh, and if you're, if you're a person who does hiking, you understand some things about uh, traveling in the mountains. Many times when you're going up, your next step is right in front of your face. You don't have to search for your next step. It's staring you in the face. But when you're going down, it's a little bit different. When you're going down, you have to look and make sure where you're going. 
uh, I think the statistics prove this out, but many times, most injuries happen in hiking when you're descending, not going up. Loose rocks, lots of things can happen when you're going down. Slovenia has mountains. Now, coming from Oklahoma, I didn't know anything about mountains. But I've learned some things about that. Um, going down, you have to pay particular attention to your next step, and so you have to look. And so while you're looking, you're really not paying attention to everything else around you. You've got to pay attention to your next step. And the thieves and the robbers knew this. That's why they selected this path to lie in wait for unsuspecting travelers. It's said that on this path from Jerusalem to Jericho, was, people were attacked so often that they called it the bloody way. The bloody way because this happened so often. The thieves are lying in wait. And it, Jesus tells a story that they robbed and stripped and wounded the man. So much so that leaving him half dead. Now, maybe it occurs to you, who are these thieves? We know the guy descending is most likely a Jew. I can't tell you who the thieves are. Maybe they're Jewish. Maybe they're not. I don't know. What I do know is they're doing exactly what we'd expect them to do. They're thieves, and they're robbers, and they want to take something that doesn't belong to them. That's what a thief does. Now, some interesting things happen after this happens. Look in verse 31. And by chance, there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, passed by on the other side. You know, I... As, as you read this story, you think, surely the man of God is going to stop here and, and offer aid to this man. But he doesn't. He passes by, and he doesn't care even to get close to the, good Samarit- uh, to the wounded man. Now, I've heard people say this. You know, perhaps the priest is concerned about his ceremonial cleanness. Right? We know that, that the priests who, who serve in the temple, um, they have to be very careful about what they touch and what they don't touch. Right? If, if they're going to be serving, they can't make themselves unclean. But there's a little tip in the story here that tells us some information. Verse 31, by chance there came down a certain priest. There's a little tip for us right there. If he's coming down then he's leaving Jerusalem. You see that? He's leaving Jerusalem. So evidently, his work is finished. This is not about ceremonial cleanness. This is about, I don't want to get my hands dirty. I don't want to be involved. This is not my problem. So I'm going to pass by on the other side. Hmm. Verse 32. Likewise, A Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. Now, so Levites, of the the family of priests, but not necessarily priests. They they served in the temple, but they weren't priests of the family of the priests. And, you know, you could say, well, at least he looked at him. No, that's worse. Because he saw what kind of condition the man was in. That makes it, to me, it makes it worse. 
If you come and look at somebody and see they're in a terrible situation, and then you go to the other side, that's worse, isn't it? Hmm. There was a little bit of a different um, reaction, but the result was the same. They passed by on the other side. Now, these two men knew the law. They should have known. The law says you help someone in need. They don't want to be involved. I look at this where, where the thieves, they were doing what we'd expect. These guys are not doing what we would expect them to do. So I, I look at this and I see this as representing two people caught up in lifeless religion. Lifeless religion. Playing at church, but it doesn't affect how they live in their daily life. When they're not serving, hey, don't involve me. I don't have time for this. Lifeless religion. And then we get to verse 33, my favorite part. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Now, I know you probably know who Samaritans are, what kind of people they are. Once upon a time, um, the Samaritans were a part of the nation of Israel. And yet some of them began to intermarry with other groups of people. And so from a, from a strict Jewish perspective, they had polluted their pure Jewishness. So the Jews looked down on the Samaritans. No respect for them. No respect for the Samaritans. But, but contrast, I want you to see the contrast between the reaction of this Samaritan to these two religious people. Uh, as a matter of fact, it, you know, Samaritans were hated by the Jews and it, it probably went both ways when you're hated by people like that. But this is a different reaction we see here. The Bible says he... He had compassion. He felt compassion. He felt, he felt pity and sympathy for this man. Now, compassion is a word that's only used 12 times in the New Testament. Nine of those times is describing Jesus and some action that he did. So if we're talking about uh, comparing some reaction of somebody to something that is primarily set aside for Jesus, that sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. And for when, so when Jesus, when you read all the times that Jesus had compassion, it always led to action. He didn't just feel something and continue on about his business. No, his compassion led to action. It caused him to do something. And that's exactly what happens here. The Samaritan did something. He didn't just feel pity. He did something. And we... We see what the something is when we read in verse 34. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. There's lots of things to unpack here. Binding his wounds. Now, I don't know how common it was for people traveling along the path there in uh, Israel how many times they carried a first aid kit? Can't imagine it was a popular item to pack along the journey. 
So I just envision here what's, what's probably going on. I see the Samaritan going over to his animal that's got some, his belongings on it. And I, what I envision is him taking one of his own garments, one, a shirt, some piece of garment, and he rips it to bind up this man's wounds. Does that seem reasonable? Am I, is that outlandish to, to think that? I think it's very reasonable to think that. Binding up his wounds. He was sacrificial of his own personal goods. Then he poured in oil and wine, the Bible says. I love how, of course, Luke, the physician, would point this out. Because he's, he's concerned about the care that this man receives. And by pouring in this oil, and wine, which would not be inexpensive, it would personally cost this man something to take his personal items again and to pour them out to care for this man in need. Then he set him on his own beast. He, he inconvenienced himself for the sake of this guy who was hurt. Sure, he could have probably been riding the animal himself. He said, no, you know what? This man's in need. I want him to be on my animal. Then it says he took care of him. He physically took care of him by binding the wounds and pouring in the oil and wine. And then by also of giving of his time, investing in this person to see him come back to health. I say this is remarkable. Remarkable for a stranger to do. But this was beyond that. This was more than just a stranger. This was an enemy. This was an enemy giving aid to an enemy. A hated enemy. So if I'm going to describe this, he does what we would not expect him to do. You wouldn't expect an enemy to give aid to someone who hates his guts. It's not normal. Verse 35 gives us even more information. Look at it. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence, gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. So this hated Samaritan gave the innkeeper a not insignificant amount of money from his own personal goods again. Beyond that, he said, whatever you spend in taking care of this man, I'll take care of it. A blank check to take care of this man. All of this, you got to catch this. This Samaritan did all of this for a man who, if they had met each other along the way, would have looked down his nose at the Samaritan. You catch that? Going out of his way for someone who does not respect you. There was no bond of friendship between the two people here. Simply two human beings. One in need and one able to supply that need. The two religious men passed by. How many times do we pass by? How many times do we let our priorities take precedence over helping somebody in need? How different would we act if we saw people as half-dead travelers who need some help? 
So, verse 36. Jesus, his message was clear for those who heard him then, and I think it's clear for us today when he says, Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? I think we can see our neighbor is anyone in need. To love our neighbor means to be moved with compassion to try to meet their needs if we can. Sometimes it can be sacrificial. Sometimes it can be costly. Many times it can be inconvenient. But what matters? The Samaritan to me, I don't think this is a stretch to say this. Samaritan to me is a picture of missions giving. Seeing the need and acting in compassion. Yeah, sometimes it's sacrificial. Sometimes it's costly. And sometimes it's inconvenient. But love refuses to ignore a need. So if you're a missions giver here tonight, you're a hero to somebody. I can tell you that. You're a hero to someone. Now, you might have different thoughts. You might have different opinions about this text. Um, it stands for itself. Jesus' story. I think it's true. There's no doubts. And it's a great story. But remember back at the beginning I said, it might surprise you why Jesus told this story. We'll read verses 25 to 29 again very quickly. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And the answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. Verse 29. Look here. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? This guy felt like he had it all down. And I can just picture him putting his hands on his hips to Jesus and saying, and who is my neighbor? Jesus is trying to reach this man. And he's about to give this proud lawyer a lesson about how to obtain eternal life. You know, if you read the, the response, the lawyer knew the right words to say. He knew exactly the right words to say. But he wasn't a child of God. Jesus knew this man's heart. And he gave him this story hoping to break through his pride. Because where there's pride, there's no surrender. Where there's no surrender, there's no repentance. And where there's no repentance, there's no rebirth. We know this. We know these things. Get down to the end of the story... And Jesus asked the man again, verse 36, 37. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? I think it's so telling the response that the lawyer gives back to Jesus. Verse 37, and he said, he that showed mercy on him. He couldn't even bring himself to say the word, the Samaritan. You see that? was below him to even say his word. You know, I have to say, Jesus knows our hearts. He knows every one of our hearts. And he knows yours here today. 
And it could be maybe someone watching on. You know the right words to say. You know how to answer the questions. Maybe you're not a child of God. I challenge you this way. Don't be too proud to humble yourself and surrender. Jesus' words to the lawyer were essentially this. Don't think about who your neighbors are. Think about who you are. Think about where you're at. Think about yourself. Think about your own need. I tell you, if you are in need here tonight, you need to respond to God's offer of love to you. Maybe we need to ask ourselves, which group of people are we most closely aligned with here? Of the three groups of people that we looked at, the thieves, the religious, and the Samaritan. Are we doing what the world would expect us to do? That's what the thieves. Are we not doing what Jesus expects us to do? That's like the religious people. Are we going to do what no one but God knows we can do? Okay, I'd just like to challenge you this evening with the last words of Jesus that we read here in verse 37. When the lawyer responded by saying, uh, he that showed mercy on him, Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Show compassion. Show compassion. Love in action. Whether it's across the hall at work, whether it's across the street in your neighborhood, or maybe for someone sitting here tonight, it's across the world. You know, I, I, have, to, I have to insert myself here at this point because... Um, Brother Pyle, he knows me. Um, you, none of you know me. Um, I grew up a very shy and backward guy. Uh, I have three older brothers. And if you have older brothers, you know what I mean. They can apply some pressure to you. When I, <clears throat> when I went off to, to college, I uh, went to Oklahoma State University. Is that bad? I went to Oklahoma State University, and uh, I chose my major there at Oklahoma State University on whether the course of study required speech. If this one required speech, let's look at something else. Because that's me. That's, that's who I am. God, God knows me. And uh, as I'm sitting in church, just like you are here tonight, in a mission conference. God began to speak to not me, God. It's not me. God, you know me. I'm just a dumb country boy from nowhere. You know me, God. That wasn't very convincing to God. Struggled with that 
for months, God showed me some things from his word. He said, uh, sometimes he calls the weak and the foolish things. To confound those things that are wise and mighty and strong. When I saw that, I got it. That's it. That's me. I'm weak and foolish. But if, if God accomplishes anything through somebody who's weak and foolish, who gets the credit? It can't be me. It can't be me. So who gets the credit? God gets the credit. And that's what it's all about anyway. So don't be sitting here tonight thinking, God could never use somebody like me. Or don't be sitting here tonight thinking, yeah, those young people better listen up. Because I, I got, can I just tell you something? If you're here tonight and you're breathing, and by many of your responses I suggest that's probably true, God's not finished with you yet. And he might have a purpose for you. And it might not always be here. I didn't give up anything. I didn't give up anything to serve God. It was a privilege. And I still count it a privilege. To have that front row seat to watch God work in the lives of people, to watch the light come on, nothing like it. There's no drug. There's nothing in a bottle that could ever match that. So maybe this is a preparatory message for the mission conference. Maybe God wants to do something. And somebody right here in this congregation, maybe he wants to blast you out of this congregation to go somewhere else to show compassion, to help others in need, in need of the gospel, in need of the only solution that will help them to find eternal life. It could be somebody sitting here this very night. If it is, don't limit God. Don't think He couldn't use you. And it doesn't matter the age either. Whatever God wants to do in your life, maybe, maybe you're the one who needs salvation here tonight. If you have that need, don't put it off. Don't say someday... Someday never comes. If you have that need in your life, I'd love to show you. And I'm not going to show you what I think. I'm not going to give you my opinion. I just point you to the book. We don't have any other, but we have the Bible. We don't have any other book. We don't have a book of Baptist or anything like that. We have the Bible. And I think Brother Pyle would do the same thing. Not show you his opinion or thoughts. He'd point you to what the Word of God says. So if you have that need in your life, I challenge you. Talk to your pastor. It's a decision you will never regret. And if God's working in your life in some other way, maybe you just want to say, God, if you would use me, if you would use me, I'd go. That's never a bad thing to say. You know what? He might not need you somewhere else. Maybe he needs you right here. Not everybody can go. If everybody went, there'd be nobody here too. Support us there. God needs some people here. But I'm an advocate for Slovenia. I stand before you 
a missionary alone in my country now. And I can take you around to countries around us where there's no one. And you say, oh, how could you know there's no one there? It's a small place. And I can tell you for sure, I can show you places where there is no one. No one. So I hope God uses this message to rattle around in your heart, in your life, in your mind. And whatever need you might have here tonight, I pray the Holy Spirit would prompt you to do something with this story here tonight. Showing compassion to someone in need. Would you stand to your feet? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this opportunity to open your word and to read it. God, the challenge that your word is for us. Thank you for that, God. I pray that your word would not return void here tonight in this place. God, you'd receive the honor and praise and the glory of our response to your word. Thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Nate is going to begin singing in just a moment, and if God has spoken to your heart, you respond to him. But you don't, you don't have to surrender to go to a field to know that, man, I need to have a heart for the lost in this world. And if you've never made this statement to God and meant it, God, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. It'd be a good place to start, because I believe we all ought to have that attitude. But then, I, you know, he said, I'm an advocate for Slovenia. I say I'm an advocate for West Valley and for the Treasure Valley. Don't think that God's going to take you and send you somewhere else if you're not doing something right here where you're supposed to be. So many people that need us to have compassion on them. So while Brother Nate sings, if God has spoken to your heart, you respond. How I praise thee, precious Savior. That thy love laid hold of me, thou hast saved and cleansed and filled me, that I might thy channel be, channels only, blessed master, but with all thy wondrous power, flowing through us, thou canst use us every day. that thou shouldest fill me a clean vessel in thy hand with no power but as thou givest graciously with each command channels only blessed master but with all thy wondrous power